Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Chuck. I'm with Triumph Entertainment, and I have the pleasure of this afternoon of sitting down and talking to Ed. Now, how do you say your last name, Ed? It is Piccolo, just like the instrument we all learned about in grade school. I have been an admirer of yours for several years. Oh, thank you. We have been together in and out, working together uh, for several years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of tell the people how you and I met. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure of like the very first time. It's probably been about eight years ago or something like that, seven or eight years ago. I believe I was working with End of Silence at the time. And um, I want to say it had something to do with a show up at Tubby's. It's yeah. probably where we, we first uh, hooked up trying yeah, to get, so. get in there. Um, and then really, you know, we just have seen each other many times worked with each other many times over the, that time frame in this area one of the times that stands out to me i want to say and maybe i'm dating myself four years ago okay where we're in the center city of harrisburg that is now called what is it still on third street or is that where we were at oh uh yeah i honestly can't even remember i mean i remember there was there was a couple places downtown harrisburg where we we did some shows, um, but I can't, I, I apologize. I can't remember. The, what was the is. basis of that show? How did that start? So is that the, is that wasn't at the HVAC, was it? See, I'm trying to think if it was, but this, what so, I recollect is I recollect this rich dude saying, let's throw a party and see what happens. And he got in touch with a mutual friend of ours to set this up. What was the background that you knew about it? Um, actually, you know, I don't think I knew a whole lot other than that we were going to do this show. And I think there was several bands with that one, if it's, if it's the amount I was talking about. Um, and I didn't know if it was like a charity thing or it was a party or what it was going to be, uh, just that there was going to be several bands there. Um, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. now I got it. It's all coming back to me. It's all coming back. Uh, it's a little slower. We're getting older these days. That was, uh. Wasn't that above ABC? There was a place up above ABC. It was in a loft. It was, it was in a loft. And actually, I wasn't playing that night. I was thinking of a different thing. I was coming there to meet John Pyle for the first time. And John Pyle's band was playing. Who was the drummer? Uh, I think that was uh, Ray. Uh, oh, my God. I can't remember his last name. Ray Wright, I believe it was. I believe you're right. Yep, I think yep. Ray was just doing that one gig with him. And um, John and me had started talking over the phone about doing some bluesy rock thing. You know, we didn't know what it was going to be. We were just kind of talking about, let's just do something different, right? And I know that night what he was doing, he was doing like a Stevie Ray Vaughan tribute night. And it was him and Ray, and I can't remember who, who else was there. But um, he said, hey, come on up, check this out, and then we'll, we'll chat. And to that point, me and him had only ever just talked over text messages and facebook and that kind of stuff so it was the first time i was meeting him and i showed up there and i remember the event because the guy who was having the party he had a big spread of food and there was a couple bands there um i can't remember who the other band was i want to say it was just american posse maybe um or someone like that um it very well could be yeah I, but i mean the spread was immaculate it was fantastic. i mean it was one of those things where i felt like it didn't matter what i wore i was underdressed yeah yeah yep. and i was wondering if half the girls we're call girls. Yeah. Oh, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, if it weren't for the fact that you introduced me to your wife. Yeah. At the time. 
because that's that's very rarely ever happens that you get to have a chance to go out with your spouse or your girlfriend and have an elaborate time like that. Yeah. And listen to the music. I mean, listen, you and I both know we don't know what happened to him. I don't know where he's at right now. So if he's listening, John, give us a call. Seriously, love to hear from you, even if you're not playing. I actually got, um, well, just kind of back up a quick second. My wife was there because I knew John's wife was going to be there. So we met her. So we were like, all the couples should meet each other, you know. And then you were there, and I got a chance to talk to you for quite a while that night, which was fun. And, um, yeah, you know, and, and him and I played together for probably a year, and I really, really loved what we were doing. Um, we were, we were doing some stuff that I had never heard before, but in a vein of music that I was really, uh, enjoying and having fun with. And then things happened and he had to move away and, and go away. I've heard from him every once in a while, probably once a year since he's left, I get a random phone call, you know, or actually, a burner phone. I got a burner phone. <laughs> actually, I got a, a, a LinkedIn message from him about five or six months ago. And then we just had this whole exchange and, um, he's living out in, in Ohio or kind of a few states over somewhere. Still not far yeah. enough that we couldn't get together and do something. No, I mean, I keep telling you, if you're ever back this way, please. Honestly, one of the reasons why him and I met was because I was working with Eric Clapton and Stevie Ray. Uh, Vaughn's tribute thing came about and he wanted to do that in yeah. the worst way. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you're friends with Eric. What do you think he would do if I would do this and I'm like going, Hey, if you really thought you could bring this off the ground, take it to the next level. He worked on it for months and months and did not go anywhere with it. Yeah. He's a killer guitarist. And it was, it was, it's fun sometimes to sit behind the drums and play and do your thing and watch the guitars in front of you, you know, with a little bit of amazement. It's something I've always wanted to learn how to do play guitar but it's also something that where I spend 10 minutes and I get frustrated and I just go play drums. You know, I just give up on it. So I sit back there and I watch him and some of the other guys that I've, I've been privileged to sit behind um, and play. And it just, he was, he was phenomenal. He was, uh, he could improvise very well, you know, and it, there was so many times that he was just like, when I turn around, we'll come out of this part. But until then, I'm just going to let my guitar speak. He was, was the cool. one that made me passionate about music in another genre that I'm used to. Technically, everybody knows that I work with Leadfoot, 80s metal, 80s hair metal. After a while, you know that doesn't go away. Yeah. But neither does the blues. Yeah, yeah. Neither does the blues. And we were we were gearing up. We had done probably five or six shows, learning new music. We were trying to target some festivals and stuff, uh, you know, on the East Coast to try and figure out how to get on the bill and stuff. And then you know, whatever happened, happened and he had to move away. And it's, it's, it's a bummer, but, uh, he did last, last time he reached out to me, it was, he still has a bunch of original music he wants to record. And he asked me if I'd do the drum tracks. And I said, man, when you're ready, you just call, we don't even have to be in the same room. You know, I'd gladly do them. So, um, you know, hoping, hoping I hear from him when he gets, uh, gets them evolved a little bit and we'll start laying some stuff down. And that'll be part two of our next interview. Whenever you come over, maybe we have something we can actually play well, and actually hear know. something. That would be awesome. You never know. Since we, we got on the, the, the track of listening and talking to uh, people we know. And again, you were correct. Having a, an atmosphere where women in our lives 
uh, can come out and be a part of that. Tell us a little bit about uh, your family life. You're married and, and you have kids? Yeah, married, uh, two kids. My wife and I actually met from uh, because of a band I played in when I was, I think I was 18. I was with a band called Axtress. Uh, I was, I joined them when I was like 15 years old and everybody in that band was about six or seven years older than me. So at 15, I'd go to these band practices with guys who had already had a bunch of club experience and I had to grow up really fast. I had to learn a lot really fast. Um, but about three years into that, um, through some shows we were doing, I ended up meeting my wife, what, who would become my wife. And we've been together ever since. So 1983, we met. Um, so it is hope. There is hope for drummers out there that they look past look. the lead singer. They look past the guitar player. <laughs> they look past with all those bright lights. Back in the yeah. day, they were park hands, not yeah, these little you know, sparkly things. Those guys are just, <laughs> you know, they're on a whim. You know, we provide, we drummers provide the stability of the song and the stability of the relationships, right? So that's that's how I look at it, you know. We're, we're also the first thing, anything goes wrong, blame the drummer. Yeah, they look at us and I go, yeah. what's me, what's me? Um, so, uh, so yeah, we, we met in 83 and um, we have two kids. They're 26 and about to turn 24 right now. And, um, you know, they're, they're just like everything. And actually, you know, I stopped playing to kind of raise a family for a long time and got back into it about 16 or 17 years ago. But I took a break to kind of raise my kids, you know, and they, they had to be my focus. That seems like to be the focal point on a lot of musicians. Uh, at a certain point, there's always a break yeah. because of the kids or the wife or something. Tell me on your side of things, how hard is it to be in the entertainment business, business and maintain communication with your wife on the things that are going on. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's kind of two phases like in my life, because there was the, there was the, the pre-break and the post-break. Right. And the pre-break was, you know, I had the star and the glimmer in my eyes. I was going to be a rock star or whatever it was going to be. And, uh, you know, we were trying to get any gig anywhere, anything we could do, right. You know, to play and stuff. So you're, you're bouncing around, you're, you're, doing some crazy stuff to, to try and get these shows and all. But, you know, we were both young and stuff and we just kind of figured out that like, you know, there's band time and then there's our time, you know, and you just try and balance that, you know, when we got a little older and I came back out of the break, it, it's funny how it was intended to just be, Hey, I love this. I want to do this again. Let me just kind of mess around. I won't play a lot, you know? And, and like I said, I got hooked up with some, really good musicians, um, several projects. And I think, I think the market when they see talented musicians, and I'm talking about the guitars in front of me, you know, I'm, I'm whatever, I'm a drummer. And, uh, but when you, when you look at some of those guys and what they're doing, they're going to get gigs. And there was a period where I was in four bands at one time and they all just started to book a lot, you know, and you know, you, what year are we talking? So this was this was probably about four years ago or so. Um, there was about a three-year span where I was I was playing with End of Silence. I was playing with the Blues Vultures. And I was filling in with a guy, um, Craig Kelly. He only did like two or three shows, you know, but I had to learn all this stuff. It was all his original stuff. And then I was playing with another band out of the Lancaster area um, that was starting to get booking. And so all of a sudden you got – and even though the one was only a few projects, the other three were starting to book gigs. And all of a sudden, you, 
you have this like snowball effect of shows and and i know this is about communication with my wife but you have to start talking about uh so i really love this the kids are a little older i really don't need to be around as much i really want to play and it really wasn't the gigs that were the problem it was you're practicing with four bands and they all want to practice every week it's like i can't practice every week with all four bands you know so you really have to be i think really disciplined about doing your work when the band's not together you know when you get to rehearsal know your stuff right be ready to go um because other because there's no way i could have done it and had to practice four nights a week and then had a couple gigs on the weekend but that just would have never worked out uh, right so i i think uh i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when you're married the partnership is solid when things start to waver you can tell and you don't want to say anything but she would probably be the first one not to say anything because she knows how much it means to you yeah you know we we kind of always looked at it and I, there's other people i've talked to about this that it's like that's how we met you know that was you know that was the start of her and i relationship and um you know when we first got together i was playing for probably another three or four years before i decided to kind of walk away for a while and uh you know so it's kind of like you it's a little bit of the you knew going in yeah right but then i did take a break and you know literally so the reason we got back into this is i hadn't played for a while it's funny i sold all my gear but i had a stick bag my original stick bag my original promark sticks in it and I'd pull them out every once in a while. I had a little drum pad and I'd tap around on that or whatever, you know, air drumming in the car all the time, all this stuff. And so, and uh, it was funny because I remember this so well. So in 2000, and I think it was four, one of my favorite all time band is Rush for obvious reasons. And they were just coming out of that period where Neil had taken a break for like five years because of the tragedies in his life. They came to Hershey. We go to Hershey. Just like the times before where i've seen them i'm just sitting in awe of the whole spectacle of the whole show you know they're just an amazing band and i walk out of the arena that night and she's like so i feel good and i went i feel good this was great and uh i'm buying gear again and she's like what do you mean i'm like i gotta play again i can't not play and she was like okay go do it you know she was all into it and and uh so went out and bought some stuff and uh then tried to figure out how to play again <laughs> yeah yeah and i was i'm a i'm a very different drummer after that break than i was before that break talking about the time that you started compared to 2004 how old were you um but the first time i played in a real band was i was 15 years old um i i had played in what i call a garage band that never left the garage before that for a little bit and uh I actually met a guy named Wade Swanger. So you probably know him from Problem Child. I was like 15 years old and it was just, it was through my mom actually. And I just jammed with him and his other guitarist one time just for something fun to do. And a few months later, I get this phone call. Hey, we need a drummer. You want to do it? And I'm going, I'm in like 10th grade. Sure, let's do this, right? You know, so again, in over my head. Um, but I was... Like I was going into a band that these guys have all played out before and I never had, and I was still young. I 
do a little bit. I was really like sink or swim for a while. So during that period, I was learning a lot, um, learning about what it took to be in a band, what it took to be a musician and, you know, what it took to play some of the stuff they wanted to play, you know? Um, and that, that band, we, we played mostly like Southern PA, um, Maryland, West Virginia, Virginia. And at the time we had bands like kicks that were emerging. We had bands like Ratchild, came Ratchild America that were emerging. Lots of talent running around, you know, and the, the best thing was to just go stand at the side of the stage and watch their drummers play, you know, and, yeah. and learn from them, you know. So we did, I did that for like six years, took the break, came back. And in that time, I learned, I listened to a lot of different music, a lot of different styles. And I think when I came back out, instead of being purely like a hard rock kind of guy, I had all these other genres running around in my head. And I think it, I think it made a difference, I think for the positive in my style afterwards. Um, but from the scene, the scene is completely different. You know, that 15 year gap, it's, it's not like you saw the transition. You left one scene and you came back 15 years later and it was completely different. Right? It's true. On a standpoint of being in a band, being an established band, being a really good band, it was a lot easier then in, let's say, the early to late 80s, beginning of the 90s, to go out and do the things we did. 95 is when I realized that things were hitting a rough patch where we were no longer viable as a band. They would rather hire a DJ. Yeah, yeah, you saw that. And, and you know, the, the thing that I, I noticed, um, it, you know, from my experience is like, we could go play places in in the early 80s to mid 80s and you could play the same venue for four nights in a row and three of those nights were going to be packed and the other one was half packed right yeah same band you know and a lot of times it was the same some of the same people and a lot of times it was different people but you could go play a venue for three or four nights in a row and you had a big crowd every night you know i mean if you were a good band obviously if you remember galifties mm -hmm. two years ago I remember Glifties 10 years ago when every single night of the week it was packed. It didn't yeah. matter what was going on. You just showed up and there was something entertaining happening. Yeah. The TI, the tourist in in Helm, 89 to 95. Didn't matter. You didn't put anything on a marquee. Why? Because you walk in there and you knew you were going to see yeah. a good band. Yeah. And see, so when I was young, I mean, we were a little further south. It was. You know, places like the Mountain View, uh, Rabbit's Foot, those kind of places. And you could just, you could just Thursday through Sunday, uh, walk in. There's going to be a band. And even no matter what the band is like, there's going to be a lot of people. And you're going to run into people you know. And uh, you're going to have a good time, you know. Leads me to the day. As a promoter, my job, nobody wants. Nobody. I get calls every day. Matter of fact, tonight, I have a show to go to see tonight. Not that I want to in the middle of a COVID pandemic. <laughs> right. But in order for me to be viable myself, I have to put myself out there in order to be seen. I have a reputation that I only work with bands that I know that are placeable. And I can't take a chance by working with a band that still is a garage band that wants to play on stage. But we don't have, and this is something that you can agree or disagree, we don't have anybody young coming up and playing. 
you don't see much. I, I mean, from you know the, the the times where I see the most bands are some of these festivals and uh, charity events we do, where they'll line up eight or nine bands, and you go to those bands and or you go to those festivals and you look at the bands and it's it's all people in my age, right? You know, there's very few bands that show up or are uh, the younger crowd coming in and doing stuff, man. They all want to do and, and nothing against it, but they all want to be singer songwriter kind of acoustic acts. And it's harder to be in a band these days because let's face it, you said it back in 2004 when you first got back out, how many times and how many bands wanted you? Four, yeah. five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking from experiences, being in a, in a promoter aspect, I have guys that are in really, really, really good bands, but they're in three different bands. I can't keep booking for one band when I have to deal with three other bands' schedules. Yeah, it, it's tough. And, um, you know, you get... You, you get those phone calls and there for a while, you know, there was, there just seemed to be what phone calls or people that, you know, put you in touch or whatever, you know, and you don't, I, personally, I didn't think much of it until all of a sudden all three of those bands started really booking, you know, and then all of a sudden you, you, you see the snowball and it's like, well, this is not good for anybody. So which band are you with? You know, that kind of led to. Okay. So yeah. So yeah. what, what band, what band do you, what band besides the band you're currently in right now, what band is that? Well, so I'm with Roadcase right now. So, uh, you know, we were, we were interesting that I got into that project right as the year of the four started coming to a close. Right. And, um, and I love what we're doing. We're doing a great time. Great, great, uh, set of music you know that, that i really enjoy um but yeah and for, for people who don't know that what kind of music are you playing so we're we're uh we're playing and it's hard to say classic rock but right i actually had somebody the other day say oh classic rock like blink 182 like walk away from me please <laughs> right um but you know it's it's so when we formed the band it was um me clint lyons chris delaporta tony settler from back in black um, and then I brought along a bass player that I played with several times, Jeff Lawrence. And when we started the band, kind of the, what we said was, this is the stuff, the music that made us want to be musicians, right? So you're looking at um, Faces, um, early Aerosmith, Zeppelin, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. But we kind of tend to lean, lean a little bit more towards, you know, if there's a more modern band, which is still in the 90s, um, that Black Crows kind of sound. You know where it's there's a little influence in blues but it's hard rock it's a little sloppy and greasy you know that's kind of the vein we're trying to be we're, we're trying to be in and um you know we're having we're having a great time um last year was covid made it really tough um all the club dates went away but we were luckily able to do a bunch of outdoor events um and keep playing so that was that was good and we're starting to see some of them start to pop up for this year too now we brought up COVID. COVID nineteen has taken a hit on everybody, yeah. every place. I can attribute to at least nine places that I used to book are no longer there. Yeah. And whether they decide to return, it's hard to say. Uh, it's no secret that I book for the tourist in, and I refuse. That's my general outlook on everything. I can't. I can't afford to put bands in danger can't afford to put people who don't yeah, care so. in danger um, only for the simple fact that um, bands 
like Road Case, Lead Foot, Dirt Cheap, those bands want to be able to invite as many people as possible to come see them. But when you're putting a cap on that, how do you turn people away? Yeah, how do you turn people away? And, and you know, there's a, a lot of fears about what's going on with the pandemic, and, and rightfully so. And when you start putting those into confined rooms, that becomes tougher too, because that number, that cap, starts to really drop. Like, I mean, what what club can say, hey, look, you know, I want to make this viable for you as a band, so I'll pay you whatever, but I can only put 50 people in the room. Uh, what do you draw numbers out of a hat? Yeah, you, what, you, 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 what are you gonna do? You, you really can't. And I'm not I'm not trying to put down anybody who's trying to earn a living. Yeah. Again, I'm going out to see a show tonight. The space is limited. The band is gonna make what they make. But again, is it worth just to hit the stage in order to put yourself in a position where you might not be wanting to be put in? Yeah. And uh, and we're um you know, we in Roadcase are 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 in a position where we're kind of looking at the summer, the spring and the summer and stuff where we can just really solely focus on outdoor things where people can spread out. And, you know, at the end of last year, we did several outdoor events and the way they were laid out, it was really kind of nice because we knew that there was the, you know, you had the stage and where the people were, there was plenty of space to spread out. They could be as close or far away from anybody as they wanted. And as a band member, you could go, I'm just going to stay back behind stage. I can create my space too. So you really could stay distanced from everyone and still have a good time but once you get it gets cold and you go now put that in a club you go how okay how can you now when you say cold take everybody back a few weeks ago oh. months ago when you and i decided we were going to take a trip and do something <laughs> and it should have been fun but it turned out to be an icicle fast yeah well we uh do you uh, do you remember uh, october 31st i do so, right so i'm still thawing out <laughs> <laughs> believe me so they it was kind of cool they had heaters up on stage one of them when we were playing didn't work uh, they tried to get it working but it didn't work and it's funny our base we were just talking about to see the other night our it blew playing. underneath greg when uh is that what it was okay. when when grumpy old men were playing greg was there and he said he heard a pop and then he said immediately i went cold oh yeah so i think and i think that was on the side of the stage where um our bass player was and he was he was like, it was so cold. It was so cold. And, but I, you know, you fight your way through it. And, uh, and it, what was great is I was behind uh, on, you know, playing drums. And there was two other guys back there, uh, drummers that, that I've met. I really don't know them very well, but, you know, we, we met and we're, we're, you know, friends and everything. And the one guy <laughs> kept feeding me fireball. He said, here, this will keep you warm. So it's like, I get to the end of a song, you go, Ed, Ed, Ed. I mean, hand me the bottle, and I'm like, I'm taking a shot, you know. Uh, but I will say that uh, I, I don't like to drink a lot when I play, and probably 70% of those were just it touching my lips when I handed it back. He thinks I was drinking a lot more than I was. Listen, the, the uh, whole that whole night man, was, was so with you cold. shaking as much as you were shaking. I was wondering if you actually needed to move your arms at all because oh it was God. it was it was one of those things where it started out at 46 degrees before you hit stage. Yeah, we went on what. 9 30 or something like that when i left it was 30 just about 33 yeah and it was just dark and i turned to rit jeff rittenhouse and yeah. i said to him i said i can't afford to lose any more <laughs> of my feeling in my toes i have to go yeah i mean at some point i'm looking at myself going these people are either comatose in their chair because that's where they were sitting and and 
rightfully so by bonfires. But oh yeah, they're so desperate, and th and this is why I bring it up. They're so desperate for live entertainment. They're willing to sit in a thirty-two degree weather bonfire, blankets over them. They were and know, they were there for the whole time. They were there for the whole. Some of those people. People were paid for this just to mind yeah. everybody else. Yeah. They paid for this. And they they paid to there sit there freezing. Eight hours of, rock, of of various music, you know. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it just. Was, it, it just was wasn't. Uh, it, it, it was country because American Posse played. There was country. Uh, Cole Wilber played. Um, you know, of course, Roadcase played. I throwback. There's some played, ninety band some or eighty band, band or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's you know Grumpy played. There's several bands that played there. And uh, it was a good time. We had we had fun. Um, I joked Cody, with Clint. Cody Will I, and his group. Yeah, I, I I joked with Clint. I said, "How do you think you're going to keep your guitar in tune?" He said, "I'm not. No, no, I'm they not. knew it. It's going to be sounding as yeah. good as it's going to." In the sound. middle of songs, are turning off to try and you know. I tell you, between every song, I stood up and jumped around. And, and after the show, Chris said to me, "What were you doing back there, man? You were like standing up all the time. Like I had to move. I had to." I was going to freeze in place, you know? Yeah. Now you mentioned Chris. Chris uh, is now your lead singer. Uh, Chris Redding. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when we started the band, um, it was, uh, it was interesting because uh, Chris Delaporta um, contacted me and we didn't know each other. Uh, just, we were kind of acquaintances on Facebook. Hey man, I'm putting this project together. Need a drummer. Any interest? And of course that I was coming out of some other bands that were pretty much wrapping up. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm looking for something. I've been trying out a couple other things. And so I go down to his guitar shop with Shea Guitars, and him and I start talking. And he goes, he said, uh, so what we're trying to do is we want to do Old Aerosmith. And I didn't need to hear another word. I was like, I'm in. Count me in. Right. And it was him. And uh, um, Tony from uh, Back in Black was going to be the lead singer. Clint. All right. So, uh, so I went down to Woodshed to talk to. Uh, to Chris Alaporta about the band and uh, you know, the band was going to be uh, me and him, of course, Clint Lyons, um, Tony, the singer from back in black. And then, uh, you know, I brought a bass player, Jeff Lawrence with me and we started up and as we were learning songs and learning our sets, um, kind of what we ran into was again, it's people in multiple bands and it, it makes it tough, you know, but back in black, we did a few shows, probably half a dozen shows and I think it was going well. And, Back in Black started booking a lot. And I mean, they were playing every weekend. And we we got in a situation where we were starting to get uh, opportunities to play. And at one point, Tony and I were talking and he said, hey, look, here's my calendar. Any weekend that's free, book a road case show. And I looked at his calendar for the next five months. There was like three free weekends. While you're there four. on that, am I wrong to say that Tony's range is crazy? He's good. I mean, he's. I'll tell you what. The ACDC stuff, nothing. He's phenomenal. Nothing compared to what he can sing outside but, of ACDC. You know, he he he. Yeah, he's great, um, and he's hilarious to be around. He's he, he he's, he's the happiest man I know. That's a great way to put it. He is the happiest man I know. <laughs> Seriously, and, he's the uh, jolliest yeah. man I know. He's he's not married to Roxanne, but he's might as well be. I think they're engaged. They're engaged. They're we engaged. There. We were there for the engagement party and stuff, and uh, and and she's she's wonderful too, and. Uh, but, you know, so so they were booking and we kind of got to a point where we said, you know, we need to have a backup singer um, for when Tony can't make it. And so we reached out to Chris Redding and he he was all in right away. He was like, absolutely, 100 percent. And then we started finding that really the the mix of when Tony could make it, and Chris 
could could make it to front the band started to really shift towards Chris because I mean Back in Black's a great band. They were they were booking like crazy, and you know so we started shifting towards Chris Redding to the point where it became obvious that Chris was going to be the front man for the band. You know, and and anytime we're with Back in Black or Tony's around and he he comes up on stage and sometimes they do uh, you know some songs together him and Redding and stuff we we have a good time but. You know, Redding then just kind of naturally, organically moved into the lead spot. Uh, Another front man that it takes over the stage. Yeah. He dominates the front stage. Yeah. I mean, he's as old, older than we are. He's older than we are. And he's doing stuff that kids today could never attempt he, to try. He hits some great notes, and he's got – he's very versatile. You know, we, we – we we do music um we try to stay in the same vein but vocally there's a lot of different ranges there that are that are happening you know we he hits chords that chris hits on the guitar that is phenomenal yeah they, they do a they do a great job he's good and uh you know chris the forda and jeff lawrence they do some backing vocals and you know we do spend a lot of time trying to get certain songs the harmonies spot on you know and uh, like we do thirty days in a hole in the beginning. Of that it's song. crazy. It's got, crazy. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. I mean, when I when I when I listen to that, because um, I used to work with the band um, a long time ago, um, called Little Caesar, did the same thing. Yeah. And then they did Chain of Fools. Yeah. Guy had a range yeah. on his voice that could break glass. Chris reminds me a lot of that. But the two duos that stand out to me the most. Is Chris Delaporta? I went to school with him, by the way. Okay. Amazing guy. Yeah. Amazing guy. Guys. Fun guy. Did I ever think he was going to be part of the woodshed after leaving Triple R? Probably not. Yeah. But to make sure that he still has something he's passionate about that he still can do today, that besides playing music, it fits him tremendous. Yeah. He has such a mellow. Yeah. And you go down there, you got Cody Wolf back there learning how to, you know, do that trade also so you walk another phenomenal just, guy that oh i i God. saw that night we were out at the freaking freeze my ass off tour Fantastic. it was it was he, he i said man where have you been all my life he's like chris hides me <laughs> yeah i said i can believe that yeah i can but, believe that he probably where's your bowl there. and chain where's that gonna be at back there fix another guitar yeah. but with him with chris and, and clint Lyons mm -hmm. together i've never seen two guys besides Ronnie 1010 and Brian and Brian feed off each other like they do. Yeah. And you know, the crazy thing, and I would say this about Ronnie and Brian too, just like uh, Chris and Clint, they, they have different styles and they complement each other. It's not like two of the same guitarists on stage. There's a difference in what they can do. Like Clint is a phenomenal slide player and we play some songs where we bring that in. We like, we play a uh, uh, Montrose uh, song that, there's a lot of slide in it. There's several other ones we do, some of the crow stuff. And, you know, between those two guys, they figure out the parts that are right for their style and complement each other. And it's it's really it's it's fun to be back in the back of the stage, you know, you know, hitting things with sticks and listening to these guys play. Um because it's just it's just fun. Yeah. So it, I just it, sit there and go, why am I here? <laughs> as a person, listen, I, I couldn't do what I do without loving music. And I can't do what I do loving one type of music. Um, I have bands that go, I can't believe they play that, or I can't believe they do this. All I care about is how tight are you? How, how long you've been yeah. doing your trade? How long do you think you can do this? And without have to 
as I call it, in a big head. I used to work with a band, and it's no no secret about this band. Um, and maybe you've seen them live, maybe you haven't. Um, but uh, Kiss Alive, NYC, out of New York. Yeah. Uh, when I was with End of Silence, I think you put us on the bill with them. I think I may York. have when we did Fat Daddies. Yeah, at Fats. That's right. End of Silence. Yeah, you put us on that show. I tell you what, you know, never have I met a bunch of fun guys to just joke about anything. And like elephants, not forget anything. Yeah. Uh, and talk about drinking. Oh, <laughs> listen, there's only other one other band that I know about drinking, and that's Leadfoot. I mean, because I always told the guys when I go to the bar, it's not going to be nothing to book you. All I have to say is, as long as you don't charge us our bar tab, we have fans that drink just as much as we do. <laughs> it's killer. Yeah, you're yeah. booked. But uh, it, it, it's one of those things where when you're entertaining and you get the bite, and basically how it starts out is is they were on the road with another band, not to be mentioned, didn't get the accolades or the pay that they should have less than the total co cost to cross the bridge to get here basically. Yeah. And they came to me and said, Hey, what can you do for me? And I put them out there after a while, the taste got to be too much for one person in the band and the head just swelled to the size of a door. Way. Yeah. I don't work with people like that. I can't work with bands like that. When I came across you um, uh, your personality, and you and I just clicked. I, I think uh, one of the things that I enjoy about you is the fact that you know what it is. It's nothing bigger than what it is today. You're not signing to go on tour tomorrow. Road, Road Case is a band that is local, will remain local, and unless something happens drastically where you start writing your own material, it, it may never go anywhere but local. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, Harrisburg area is is not real friendly to original music. No. You know, it, it, it isn't. Um, it's barely friendly to any cover bands. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can remember a time where we were, you know, going back then in silence, where we were trying to write and we were trying to do some, some stuff with that. I mean, we weren't going to tour or anything like that, but we were trying to write and sell some EPs and stuff. And... You know, we play sets around here of like eight, ten songs, and five or six of them will be originals, and two or three covers that kind of fit the same thing. Actually, one of the covers I played was a friend of mine's band um, because it just felt like our kind of music, right? You know, again, another uh, phenomenal singer that you had in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Trevor was Trevor had a range. Well, I tell you what, he could hit some notes. And uh, but we we took that act out, so I. I knew the drummer Chris Hamilton for St. Cain, which I don't know if you you know them or remember them, uh, but they were out from the Philly area. And I met him one time. I went out to a Godsmack show with uh, Shannon Larkin was hanging out. I met Chris. Chris was there. And we, him and me and Chris kind of hit it off. So we stayed in touch and he invites us out to Philadelphia to open up for them. Um, I can't even remember what the club was. So we go out and it's us and Midnight Mob. Um, I forget the other other band and then St. Kane, a full night of original music and the people loved it. We sold CDs and everything. And, and I can remember talking afterwards going, this will never happen in Harrisburg. You know, come to cities, people, there's a lot more people for one thing and they want a lot more stuff. They want new stuff, you know? So you take your original stuff out there, you can do good back here. 
You gotta play covers, you know. Let's take let's take for instance, and we'll go back a couple years when Wanda's was still in play. Yeah. And Lowe's was a trailer park across yeah. the street. <laughs> uh, it's going back a ways. <laughs> we're, we're we're looking at the fact that live is from York. Yeah. Fuel is from Mechanicsburg. And York and Lancaster. These guys played Thursday, Friday, Saturday night at Wanda's before a tour, and they couldn't draw flies. Yeah, that's crazy. But as soon as they got out on the road and did what they did, then all of a sudden people complained that they weren't coming around enough. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you do about that. You know, it's... it's it's Poison, considered think. hometown boys. How often do you see them? Yeah. Maybe once, twice a year, yeah. if, if, if you're lucky. And Ricky is a good friend of mine, and he's talked about just bringing his band back to the East Coast just for him to do it. But do you think, and be honest, a guy like Ricky, do you think it would be enough for him to bring his band here to draw anybody? Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't think it would. I mean, you would hope the name would would bring some people out, and it would bring some people out, you know. But it's it's kind of like so. So who knows their songs, you know, who knows what they're doing. I don't know if they're writing originals or whatever they're doing, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to me how, and we were talking about this a little bit ago, how like getting new bands started, especially young guys uh, and girls getting music started and trying to get crowds out there. Um, but yet if you bring, and I know they're big, but you bring a kicks around, they pack everything. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of bands out there that are doing some really cool stuff, you know, originals, covers, whatever it may be. Where are all those people when it's not kicks? What are they doing? They just stay home, you know. And it's it's really Pennsylvania's been known cool. to be a click town. Yeah. Uh Kicks has been known to be a Pennsylvania hometown band. Yeah. And they're not even from they're Pennsylvania. Not even from Pennsylvania. No. But they play more they, they play more in Pennsylvania than they do anyplace else, practically. And that's because they do continue to draw. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, working with them on a continuous basis, it's not the same people. It's not like you're seeing the same 3,000 people every time you see a show. You see your 30 to 40 yeah. and the people that aren't going to miss a kick show. But generally, when you look out in the new crowd, especially if they can have an all-age crowd, you're seeing kids that are 15, 14 years old. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, there's there's some shows that we have even done that you know it makes you smile when you see younger folks out there jamming to your music, you know, headbanging your music, and you go, "There's hope for rock and roll," you know. Oh, without uh, a doubt, it's, it's great to see. Uh, my my son grew up on Kiss, didn't even know anything about them musically or why they were doing what they were doing, but he loved their music. He didn't even know they wore makeup <laughs> until he saw them. He's like, "What the heck's that okay. all about?" I said, "Literally, dude, that's how they got chicks." He's like. You're doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> I said, well, you tell Gene that. You, you tell Gene that. I said, you tell Gene that. I said because, and listen, this is coming from a guy who used to get letters from him because our T-shirts were fabricated the way he wanted them to be. It's it is about the music, and I think no matter what you're gonna do, uh, people are gonna have the clicks that come out and see bands. Yeah, you're gonna absolutely. see you're gonna have people that go out and see bands that are really not as talented as some other bands are just because my friends are going out yeah. and hanging out. I could, I could put a three band build together today and I could put one band on the bill tomorrow and they'd have the exact same amount of people. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's how bad things are with yeah. the music scene. 
Well, we're just going to keep trying to plug away at it. That's, you know, that's what we're going to do. I mean, we, we just love playing. We love playing for people. Uh, love doing what we're doing. We're, you know, we're, we're, we haven't played out since October 31st, uh, that cold frigid night. And, uh, uh, actually we're hoping it happens again next year, even if it's that cold again, but, uh, you know, we're learning some new stuff and we're looking forward to getting back out and kind of sharing the love a little bit. So this is uh, brings me to my next topic. My next topic is, and it just happened and it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, kind of rolls around with this topic of this week. Uh, last weekend was the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, I put on Facebook, whether you agree with me or not, Facebook is not real people, just so you know. But when I put on Facebook that this halftime show sucks, it's not because the singer sucks. It's not because the music sucks. It's because I'm in the business and I know production. And when I hear the monotone coming from the stage only, meaning the stadium, and not piped through the truck like it's supposed to be for television consumption, all you Hee Haw fans. <laughs> That's how it's supposed I to go. That. That's how it's supposed to go. <laughs> it's supposed to go from the studio to the truck to your TV, and it didn't happen. The very first three songs were, I can barely hear what I'm supposed to hear. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what happened this year with that. I mean, my, my wife's a big fan of, of the weekends. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever you think of that style of music, whatever, right? It, like the first couple of songs, and I know what you're saying, there seemed to be an echo or delay or something that was almost a little overwhelming. Yeah. That, yeah, you were like, what? What's he what, saying? What's going on? What's going on, you know? Until and, he got in that little box. When he got in that little box, all of a sudden oh, yeah, everybody yeah, yeah, decided, yeah, yeah, we should right. do something about this. Right. It, it got worked out <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but, you know, and I, I, and I, I don't want to say I feel bad for the guy because, uh, you know, he, he's making millions of dollars and he's living he's living the music lifestyle. But in, in your opinion, but, though, it doesn't really matter. It, somebody was going to hate on it no matter what. That's exactly it. That's exactly where I was going. It doesn't matter. Someone's going to hate on it. Someone's going to love it. It's a whole lot of people that are going to be indifferent to it. It doesn't really matter who it is. Like every every Super Bowl halftime show, no matter who it is, uh, if you go to Facebook or wherever, there's people that are just enamored by it, and there's people that just hate it. And it's just like and the memes and the posts. Where's ECDC? Where's the this? Where's that? Well, listen, we haven't had a halftime show that was any decent since Prince, yeah. and he did it in the middle of a raining, freaking monsoon storm. But the point was, you could pick that out and say I didn't like that either. And and people did. I can you know. And I mean, who's better than Prince? Well, the listen, the guy's phenomenal. Yeah. You're talking, to, you're talking like the next person next to Prince is Michael Jackson. Yeah, you know, you, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's tough. And you know, there's there's a whole lot of, I think, overproduction anymore. Um, that unfortunately, I think the musicians get lost in all the, you know, the glitz. And I think it was brings it brings me down to the fact where you and I go out as fans and I'm only talking from a, a point of view where we decide we're hanging it up and your wife says, let's go out and listen to this. And you go out and listen to a band. And the first thing you said is to yourself, never to anybody else. It's always to yourself. I can do that better. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say that, <laughs> <laughs> but you think but, it. you, you know, do, you think it all the time you go out and you go, I'm going to have a good time tonight, but you haven't played in six months. And you really are jealous of the fact that 
this yeah. numbskull behind a kit that just got it out of the five and dime nickels drugstore <laughs> book that oh, used to be brutal. Sears catalog <laughs> instead of where yeah. he should have got it. And he, his time is all over the place. And you're like going, what are, what are you doing? Do you want me to come up there and help you, son? Seriously. <laughs> That's funny. You know, as a musician, going out to see other musicians is 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 it's brutal it's brutal no matter what right no matter if you're talented or not talented or whatever you are it's brutal and it kind of it a little bit goes back to that style thing you know sometimes it's like well it seems robotic or it seems too too loose or whatever it is you know uh the one the one thing i try to do is you know i've had people so this is old story really good friend of mine first two metallica albums come out to me the best Metallica albums ever were the first two, period. Not even close, in my opinion, right? And, and there's a lot of people that disagree with me. Um, but I can remember the first time. So I, I was in a band with a guy named John Fonstock who went on to play with Snot and Amen and, and Wait Noise Out and stuff. And and I can remember him coming to practice one time, pulling me out of the band room and said, you got to listen to this. And he goes and throws this cassette in his car. And this is when, uh, you know, they were they were we were first hearing the name, right? The production was terrible, right? But as a musician, I think personally, you need to get a little bit past that and listen to the music, right? The songs were killer. Okay, they had no money. They were, you know, I, I, I don't. They were there was they were not in a studio with a bunch of you know multi million dollar recording equipment stuff. There was just some guys and they got whatever they got and they made these songs. And you go, the music music is good. And so when I go out and see bands and stuff. I always try to kind of tell myself that same thing. Production's production. Yes, you want it to be good. You want good people, good engineers and stuff. But make sure you listen to the music too, because uh, you know, I, I've had <laughs> I've had sound men say, I can't make you sound good, but I can make you sound bad, right? Kind of stuff. They have a lot of control of that, but it doesn't mean one way or the other that you as a guitarist or as a drummer are good or bad. You know, can you separate that guy can play versus nah, his drums just don't sound like that good or whatever it may be, you know? And it kind of all goes back to that same thing. Those metallic albums were phenomenal. The production wasn't that great. Get past it. The songs were good. So you go see musicians. Musicians are good or not or whatever they are. Don't let, don't let the production of the drums or whatever sway you one way or another. Because it can fool you too, right? If it sounds, the drums sound amazing, doesn't, you know, separate that from the, the player. And that brings me to the point of the Super Bowl. Separate the sound from the player. He's got great music. He's saying stuff that nobody even knew that he actually wrote. Yeah. It's one of those <laughs> one of those things where, as a musician, he's brilliant. But the thing is, is the wrong genre, or not even the genre, wrong place, wrong time, shouldn't be his platform. Yeah. But don't judge on one performance when you hear a national anthem or you hear something that's coming up, just like NASCAR. This is the 20th anniversary, I believe, of Dale Earnhardt's death. All-time great. So when you list all-time greats, it brings you to Michael Jordan, Dale Earnhardt, uh, LeBron James, Ed Sheeran, all these type bands that are so good as far as those things that they do in their lives. Brings them to the top of their game. Why? Because they're not doing anything that you and I couldn't do. They're just doing it better than we are. Doing it better, and they get to do it. They more do often. it more often. You know, I I've had conversations with uh, our our bass player where I'll, I'll listen to a drummer saying, "Oh my god, man, 
I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. And he would say to me, but if that's all you had to do for a living, do you think you could get there? I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if. Listen, I if I ran marathons, hours, I wouldn't be 220 either. Yeah. If I could, <laughs> if I could practice five, six, seven hours a day, you know, yeah, maybe. Right. But right now I'm not, you know, and he'll go, but, but that's how you have to think about this. Right. You know, if you could sit down with a guitar for six hours a day, you'll be a better guitar player. Right. But how much, you know, how much drumming do you get to do? How much guitaring you get to do that kind of stuff, you know, even when you're a national band, like kicks, how often do you think they play? Well, they don't practice. No, you know, they, they when know you play out as much as they play out, yeah. not now, but when you play out as much as they play out, you don't need to practice. Yeah. They, um, I'll tell you when I was playing with Ronnie, so I was in blues holsters for like three years and I'd get down there and, um, you know, you just, you, you really quickly see how talented he is. You know, he's a hell of a guitar player and he's got a big heart, man. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, you realize it's like that they've been playing those songs since 83, 84, something like that. 81 easily. Whenever that first album came out, uh, if they don't know it by now, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're never going to get it. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, they really don't have to practice a lot, but, but they're practicing other stuff. We were playing completely different music and, you know, he's still practicing a lot, of, a lot of stuff. He's still playing all the time. And so when they go up on stage, it's pretty much, Hey, we got this, you know, the only time I think that they would really need to do something is if they're going to pull something out of the vault that they haven't played in 20 years. And then they'll and they've done go, that. They've done that. Oh, believe me. I, I've been at shows. I went, wow. Yeah. Cold shower was one of them. Oh man. I've heard stuff off that first album that I hadn't heard in years. When they did that, uh, the pr promoter at the time said, you do that and we'll give you an extra whatever, whatever. And, uh, boom that yeah. night. And they did it during practice to the sound check. And it was like, man, it, why, why do I feel like my eight track just went <laughs> all over yeah. again? We, you know, you and me, before we started this interview, we were talking about, you know, bands opening for bands and playing, ending up playing stuff from the, the headliner set and stuff. And, and we never did that. Like no band I was ever in. That's, that's, a that's an unwritten rule. You don't do that. Right. But there was a time when, when kicks was first going to start off and I was with actress and we were first starting off and we would play some of their tunes, never when they were there, you know, they came to the shows, they saw us, they actually even said good things afterwards and all. But, uh, one time the guys were there and we busted out a song that never made one of their albums, but was on their demo. And, uh, the first question is, where'd you get that? <laughs> I said, well, we got to copy your demo, you know? And, and it was actually cool. Steve and, the guys were like, yeah, that's cool. No problem. You know, Donnie was not really happy about it. Donnie uh, was never happy about anything. No, he, he was not happy about it. And I remember he called us out and Steve and I were like, no, it's cool, man. Just do it. But it was, uh, somehow we got a hold of a demo and we played daddy's little girl and, uh, right away. Hey, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? Well, you got to copy your cassette cassette. That's really famous. Yes. <laughs> On that note, we're going to end this interview and uh, the couple of things that I've learned about you today is stuff that I've always known that you're a gentleman and you, you're, you're very talented. Uh, congratulations on being nominated to Pennsylvania hall of fame. Thank you very much. Uh, road case. This is their first nomination, I believe. Correct. Second. We, Second. we got there last year too. Uh, did they come out with any winners yet or when is this thing supposed to take it. off? I've been kind of watching, haven't seen anything. Uh, you know, we're just, we're honored to be nominated to even be in that discussion. So, um, 
whatever happens, happens, but we're just happy to be in there. Congratulations on that. And again, I, I, I also learned that uh, no matter what, music's always going to be a part of you. Absolutely. And uh, part of your family. And congratulations again on uh, the things you've done and the things you are hopefully to do. And maybe the next time I have you on, we can figure out whether or not Roadcase actually took home well, we'll see. something. You know, <laughs> I, I think that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or the Hall of Fame of Pennsylvania thing got going on. I think they got a lot of uh, work to do, but it's definitely nice that they have something for us in Pennsylvania. And not to mention that I think there could be other things that out there to identify um, local music scene and venues uh, and photographers and everybody else that are involved. Um, they do a good job. They do a great job. As musicians, we continue to uh, bust ass, take names, and do it better than anybody else uh, because we enjoy it. Yeah. Not because uh, anybody's telling us we have to. That's what it comes down to. You know, it, it, <laughs> at our age, we're, we're not making a living, right? We're not going on no, tour. No, we're not I mean, making a living me, at right? this. Yeah, we're not making a living at this. We're doing sure. it because we love to do it. We want to be out there and play. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really what it comes down to at this point. I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks and, for having me. And uh, again, uh, I would love to have you on again and maybe even co-host the show. Yeah, let's do that. That'd let's be awesome. On. Let's do that and uh, look forward to coming back. Again, my name is uh, Chuck with Triumph Entertainment. I'm here with Ed Piccolo. And again, that's Piccolo so you know which Ed. Because next weekend, we have another Ed coming on from Gunmetal Gray and all his other uh, hot and dangerous, uh, acoustic acts. Uh, he, he's a phenomenal singer, player, bass player. I think he plays every instrument. He's kind of like a Ned Sheeran. So again, another Ed that we're going to interview for next weekend. Uh, stay tuned. And again, thank you for tuning in to the live and local podcast, The Roundtable.